0: Welcome to episode 502 of Startups for the Rest of Us. If you guessed that I am your host, Rob Walling, you guessed correctly. This week, I talk with Benedict Dyka from UserList. And you'll remember I spoke with his co-founder, Jane Portman, about six or eight months ago about their progress growing their startup. Since I spoke with Jane, UserList has become part of Tiny Seeds second batch, our 2020 batch, and we talk a little bit about that today in the conversation. But before we dive into that, If you've checked out the kinds of companies that TinySeed is investing in and you'd be interested in investing in TinySeed and effectively diversifying your investment across many, many early stage B2B SaaS companies with traction... And to see the companies we invested in in batch one and two with our first fund, you can just head to the homepage tinyseed.com and you'll see all the links there or you can head to tinyseed.com slash latest and we have a list of our second batch that we just announced. The types of companies we invest in are bootstrapped, cash-efficient, They're the types of startups that you hear me talk about and espouse on Startups for the Rest of Us and that you run into at MicroConf and other events that cater to those of us who are building ambitious yet sane startups. And so... If this is an asset class you've considered investing in and you're an accredited investor, TinySeed is a nice way to do that because of the automatic diversification you get across many B2B SaaS companies with traction instead of having to seek out all that deal flow and do all the, all the due diligence and all the research yourself. You can instead rely on us to do the legwork for you. So again, tinyseed.com slash invest if you are interested. And just a little more background on Benedict before we dive into the conversation. Benedict is the co-founder of UserList. It's at userlist.com and their headline is Behavior-Based Customer Messaging Perfect for Your SaaS. So they have email and in-app messages. And with that, let's dive into our conversation. Benedict, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you. It's your first time on the podcast, right? It's my second time. Second time. Oh, Mike, you and Mike uh, did MicroConf Europe recap Yeah, a couple couple of years ago. That's right. I think I was with my family in Europe taking a vacation after MicroConf Europe and and you came on. And of course, Jane Portman, your co-founder, has been on at least twice. And she was on about six or eight months ago talking about your journey together, building user lists. And of course, we'll talk through that today a bit. I I wanted to start by asking you about Help Founders. It's at helpfounders.com. And folks who are listeners to this show know that in essence, it's free advertising for like early stage SaaS products. And we have donated a few slots to help founders, and folks have, have heard a couple of the, the ads, you know, essentially that I've read. And they're less ads, and it's more of me talking about the product. I actually had met one of the founders of the products through MicroConf Connect. So it was kind of cool. But I'm curious, like, what was your motivation, yours and Jane's motivation behind starting that initiative?
1: To be honest, it was mostly Jane's idea or entirely Jane's idea. And it was her first response to like this whole pandemic coming over us and causing problems for a lot of a lot of founders and we just wanted to do something to help out with the stuff we we can do and both Jane and I run podcasts so it felt like an easy decision to just like give shout outs uh, to to fellow founders in our podcasts and and just help the community that way and luckily, uh, once we started reaching out and promoting this idea, a lot of other people like you uh, joined with the podcast. And I think at some point we had more podcasters and more slots on podcasts and actual products. I'm not entirely sure what the numbers are right now, but the support we got or the support Jane got with this was was amazing.
0: Yeah, that's something I love about this community of bootstrappers, makers, whatever we want to call them, the, the founder community that we work in is in general is just a very positive community and I, I think that that comes from doing hard things and knowing that putting things out in the world is is pretty hard and the generosity that I think you saw where you have more ad slots than, than startups asking for them is, is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was definitely an exciting part and so far I think it's going well, like people are getting shout outs, uh, some podcasts do really amazing jobs at like doing real in-depth teardowns more or less of the products and the product ideas. So it feels like it's even more than just ad spots, at least on some shows.
0: So I want to I kind of change it up and, and talk about user list. User list is behavior based customer messaging, perfect for your SaaS. That's the headline uh, on your on your homepage. So it's basically emails and in app messaging for SaaS apps, behavior based. A competitor of of Customer. You and I had chatted a little bit offline briefly about how how it helps to couch in a person's mind who's listening, like, what is this product similar to? And so you guys have been working on this for several years now. And I know that, that growth has started picking up for you. But that, you know, in talking to Jane, again on the podcast several months back, that, that it was really slow early on, that it was slow getting going. Did that surprise you how long it took you to go from, let's say, starting to build to 1K of MRR?
1: Yeah, it was definitely slower than we expected. But I've... I feel like a lot of that has to do with just like how long it takes to actually build a product like this, with doing like consulting on the side and like basically doing this part time. I'm sure like if we were able to fully focus on it from from day one, it would have been a lot faster, just because we didn't have too many other things going at the same time. But then again, I mean, who knows? This is only the one time experience, and I'm not sure. Like maybe I'm wrong about it, and it would still be slow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's pretty well. It is pretty typical, right? Especially because you were doing it both. You and Jane were doing it on the side while consulting. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we we had to pay our bills in the early days. Like the product doesn't pay. Like with consulting on the side, you only get like maybe a day or two of focus focused work on the product, especially like on the technical side, implementing stuff like implementing the hard stuff makes it really challenging with just like one or two days per week and then having a longer break and then trying to get back into it and trying to remember what did you do last week and what's the plan to move forward and what changes are still missing and stuff like that. So I feel like since we were able to go full-time earlier this year, we, we move a lot faster with everything.
0: Yeah, I always struggled with that when I was still building on the side was whether to try to carve out a day, a week... I really didn't have the luxury at the time of carving out two days, but carving out like one day a week or whether it was evening hours and some weekend hours. And of course, the evening and weekends, I was tired or I didn't want to be doing it. I wanted to be out having fun. But if I carved out the day a week, it's exactly what you said. You lose the context, the mental RAM of loading all the the entire code base and everything, all the objects up in your head, the model. And then it's like, well, I only have like six or eight hours to work on this. And then it's six days, you know, five days gap until the next time. And it's really, really cumbersome. And that's where I think the difference between like an early hypothesis of Tiny Seed was, hey, get folks who are trying to do this part-time and, and get them to full-time. Now, already, we, you know we, even in the first batch, and especially in the second batch, most of the, the founders were already doing it full-time. So while that hypothesis has has held in a, in a small way, it's not the main you know, focus of, of what we're doing anymore. But I do feel like that step from part-time to full-time focus, if you can work 15 hours a week on it versus 45 hours a week, it's not three times more productive I think it's five to ten times more productive because all of your focus is there and all of your mental RAM is devoted to it and you can just keep it loaded up constantly you know
1: yeah like like even on the days where you're you're working on the product there's still so many other stuff going on in the background that just takes focus away and like just being able to focus on one thing for a all the time like the entire time is just super valuable because it just like removes all the other background tasks and responsibilities you have with your clients and that makes it easier to execute on a product
0: and your growth has picked up what do you think that is i think what
1: helped is um that we launched our in-app messaging feature and recently launched our new 9 dollar startup plan i think that lowered the barrier for some people to try the product and get started using it even when they are still in early stages. Previously we had our uh, lowest plan was $49 a month and I feel like that's still a reasonable price point but like for someone who's just starting out it was a little bit too much. We wanted to offer a better deal for like small people similar to where we are and provide them with a product that they can integrate early and uh, start using to send messages to their customers. And I think that helped. Like The numbers show that uh, since we launched that plan, uh, we get more trials and more trials convert, especially into the small plan.
0: So you feel like it's working so far?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's working so far. It's still below our goal, but uh, time horizon for that is still, I think,
0: Two months out, we
1: wanted to re-evaluate after two months, three months. And yeah, I'm confident that, that we'll get there.
0: <laughs> right, right. Because the danger obviously for listeners is if your current lowest pricing plan is $49 and you're going to introduce a $9 plan, one, you can cannibalize some of your existing MRR for people who are, you know, who qualify for that $9 plan who are already your customers. And two, people who would come and would have signed up for your $49 sign up for your 9 And so your average revenue, you're, you're basically dropping your average revenue per customer. And that's the kind of the, the danger of it. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, like our hopes is that the limit on the, on the starter plan, on the new $9 plan is 100 customers. And we hope that people in that range are more willing to pay for a $9 plan than they are for a $49 plan. And ultimately I hope it's more people uh, who are willing to sign up instead than those who would have signed up instead and now are paying less than they would have before.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, 100 customers. So that's like 100 contacts, right? 100 people, 100 email addresses. And if you're running a SaaS app and you have 50 customers, the odds are, I guess, you know, if your average revenue per user is 1000 a month or something, wow, it's a, that's a $600,000 a year business. But a lot of the SaaS, I think, that's probably signing up for this. When you're on a 100 customers, you're still pretty early stage.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. But like, that's also one of the challenges with our pricing is like, one customer of our customers is valued a lot differently depending on their, on their business model. Like if you're running a freemium business, then one customer or one user in user list isn't worth much. But maybe it's an enterprise business that just needs 50 users to be super profitable, then uh, one user in user list is worth a lot to them. And that makes it kind of hard, but so far I feel like this is a good middle ground.
0: Yeah, we struggled with that running drip too, because we would have, it's a similar thing, we'd have a blogger with 600,000 people on their email list, and they didn't have that much revenue, you know, they didn't make that much revenue off of each person. So they were worth dollar amount less. And then we'd have a consulting agency with 500 contacts or 1000, but each contract was worth 30, 40, 50 grand to that agency. And so you just, we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, look, the only way to get around this or to to figure out how to get more you know, more value based pricing is to not just have it be number of subscribers, it's to introduce feature gating, right, where, well, I know the agency wants an integration with some Salesforce, you know, or they want an integration with some tool that only the agencies would be using and that the blogger would not use. And so if we were to go to we didn't wind up going down this path, because it just wasn't worth the time, there were more important things to work on. But that's how we would have done it is is implemented a feature or two, and then put it in a Gated, whether it was an add-on of, hey, it's hundreds of dollars per month to have that integration, or whether it was just a separate tier that they you'd have to be in if you wanted the most value of an agency. That's that's kind of how I would think about it.
1: Yeah, we considered this when we when we launched in-app messages. Basically, the idea was let's just launch in-app messages on the on a larger plan. I think starting at ninety nine per month, but ultimately we decided against it because it felt a little bit against our ethos or our motivation to build a tool for people like us. And then artificially limiting an essential feature or somewhat essential feature felt like the wrong the wrong way to go. I guess it makes makes more sense when when there are actually features that are only valuable to a certain type of customer. But with in messages felt like it was the wrong the wrong way to go.
0: <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the in-app messaging launch, that was just a few weeks back. And you had talked on your podcast about you and Jane focused on launching it on product hunt, but that it didn't it didn't quite go the way that you wanted. you want to talk to listeners through kind of what the goal was, I guess to get a lot of exposure and and kind of what went wrong there
1: yeah, absolutely like the plan, as you said, was to get a lot of exposure, especially outside of our audience because we have a mailing list and we send regular updates to the subscribers on our mailing list and of course our customers and our Twitter followers and stuff like that and I think Most of them were probably aware that we were building this and working on this because frankly it took a a long time and we've been talking about this for months now. But the plan for the launch was to make a little bit of a splash and get it noticed outside of our communities and our audiences. And the plan was to basically launch it on Product Hunt on that day Send an email to our um, mailing list, announcing it, linking them, linking to the to the product hunt page, and try to get a lot of eyes on the product hunt posting and a lot of upvotes there, so it would get into the on the front page and rank really well, get a lot of upvotes and stuff like that. Uh, the problem is that didn't happen. Like uh, we posted it and sent the emails, tweeted about it, and I guess like a lot of people in our audience saw it and upvoted it but it wasn't enough to get us on the, on the front page and in the popular category for the day. And that essentially meant that nobody else saw it or very few people outside of our audience saw
0: it. And this was a little bit sad <laughs> in a way uh, because uh, it didn't work out. It's, was it kind of like you put all your eggs in one basket, the product hunt basket and it didn't work? Yeah, yeah absolutely. All of our communication was around the launch was
1: focused on our product hunt page even in our Google Analytics stats for the for our website, there's no way to notice the launch. Like, there's no spike in traffic. Nothing. We put all our eggs in the in the product hand basket, and that didn't work out. In a way, it was a little bit of a failure, to be honest. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's, and that's a bummer. I mean, it's always an experiment to do that. And I've had the same, I mean, I think we, we each face that dilemma. Anytime we want to do a launch, it's like, okay, we're going to post it to Product Hunt. Do we send everyone there? Do we send some people to our landing page and some people to Product Hunt and some people to Hacker News or whatever? You know, there's just there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of kind of gut feel of like, I don't know, just, just, let's try it out. Because if it had worked, here's the thing, if it had worked, you would have gotten a lot of exposure. And so just because it didn't work doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. I think that's something to think about.
1: Yeah, that's true. But next time I'd probably at least uh link to the to the website as well in, in the emails and stuff like that. Yeah, and just like be deliberate yeah. about also like using other other platforms properly, like uh for example yep. posted on indie hackers and we did that, but also linked to the product hunt page and we just did a did a bad job at promoting the launch outside of product hunt and uh In hindsight, that's what this was a problem.
0: Right. You could have had a little bit of link diversification, is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. 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 Link to the website here and there. And then maybe have a a little banner on the on the website that links to links back
0: to product hunt or
1: something like that.
0: That's cool. So you also you used to be, I used to describe you as, hey, it's userlist.io, because that was your domain name, but you bought the com six months ago or whatever, and you paid a few thousand dollars for it. I think you said the price on, on your podcast. Do you want to talk us through? Obviously, the thought process is because the .com is awesome, right? And, and now your name can just be UserList rather than everyone saying UserList.io. But was that a risk for you guys? Did you feel like it was a lot of money to pay? And do you think it's been worth it?
1: It was a lot of money to pay, but I think it has been worth it. It's so much better.
0: Yeah. What was the
1: price? It was four thousand dollars. And I think like in the episode with Jane, I think you talked about this a little bit as well. So if listeners wanna wanna get the full details on the negotiation and stuff like that, they should probably just go back there. <laughs>
0: And again, I probably should have mentioned this episode earlier. I mean, we talked about Jane being on the podcast. It was episode 471 of this show called Fighting to Gain Traction in a Crowded Space. And, and we do talk about, well, just about a bunch of other interesting stuff that I'm not going to rehash here. But you know, you had a third co-founder and how you guys worked through worked through that. But I'm curious over this, so this two and a half years, what's, what's been the funnest part? What's been the best part for you where you think, man, this is so cool?
1: Getting it into the hands of the first customers, the first customers and seeing them use the product and get some value out of it, that was definitely something exciting. And seeing the product work in, in reality and not just on my development machine and my test setup, that was definitely exciting. And then of course, like once we launched, the launch of the product on Product Hunt went really well. That was also exciting. Joining TinySeed was also a cool milestone, to be honest. <laughs>
0: Yeah I want to talk about that in a second because I you know we're essentially five weeks in to you know to batch two that that you're in but you know a little more than that we've been in the the Slack channel so I want to talk to you about your experience there. Before we do that I'm curious what one or two things have been the hardest for you. You can either take us back to a moment where you were like shaking your head like this is terrible or, or just talk more generally.
1: The hardest part was definitely like staying focused with why we were still doing this on the side like keeping up the momentum and making meaningful progress while also doing a lot of other stuff that was definitely hard and i also remember late last year there was a phase where a lot of stuff was going on i think it was shortly after we applied to tinyseed and for some reason during that week customer support or during the couple of weeks customer support was just like really tough there were a lot of a lot of requests by customers and also a lot of like very hard support tasks with like people asking us to review their, basically their entire setup and answering one of those tickets took well over an hour just to like browse through their account, understand what they were doing, figure out all the edge cases. Yeah, it just was a lot and it was really tough on me and I felt like in that week or those two weeks I felt like I'm I'm burning out, I can't do this, I can't do this anymore but eventually it got better and since then like i've been a little bit more deliberate about like not having notifications for every single support ticket that comes in just to be not get distracted by work stuff when i'm actually not working in the evenings and and things like that
0: yeah it's it's really hard in those early days because you're 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 trying to make every customer super happy and and what becomes completely not scalable later is spending 60 to 90 minutes on a support ticket. But in the early days I remembered us doing it as well. I've done it with multiple products where I'm going above and beyond because you're scraping and clawing not only for every customer to keep them around, but you want them to just have that wow moment and you want them to tell other people about your product. And in order to do that, you have to sometimes do things that feel ridiculous, you know, when you say them out loud of like an hour on a support ticket. But it's like, yeah, that was probably worth it. They're probably a customer for life.
1: Yeah, also like at this stage we're still learning so many things about how people use the product so it's also valuable just from a product development standpoint just to really dig in and understand what people are doing with the tool. Like We still do that. Like When the need arises we really dig in and try to understand the problem and uh, analyze what's going on. But I don't get notifications for every single email in our support inbox anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a moment in every product's lifespan where and it's typically fairly early on where it's like, okay, I need to disable the email I get every time a credit card is charged. Because when you have five customers, you know, and they charged across a month, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. And when you have 100 or 1000, it's just it becomes ridiculous. So that that's kind of a cool milestone. And that's the other one, right? Is at first, hey, we're getting one support ticket a day or three a week. And then suddenly, it's like, well, we're getting three a day, we're getting five a day. And that's, it's a good sign that things are moving in the right direction. But you have to you have to figure out a balance there. Very cool. So TinySeed, I hinted at that earlier. As I said in, in your introduction, UserList is of course a Tiny seed batch 2 company for the 2020 batch. I'm curious, you and Jane, like, why did you decide to apply? What did you hope to, that you would get out of TinySeed?
1: I hinted at this a couple of times and it, the answer is definitely focus. This was the main reason for us. We, we decided to go full-time in January and made that decision even before before applying to tinyseed but it was clear that we'd only have like a runway of like 6 months or so applying to tinyseed allowed us to extend that that runway by a little over a year and just be able to focus on the product throughout this entire year and uh, not worry about anything else and of course we didn't know it back then but like now with the, with the pandemic it 's really, really nice to not have to worry about getting a new consulting gig and finding new work and stuff like that, so yeah, we got lucky there, I guess
0: yeah, it was definitely the pandemic was unexpected for a lot of us, but it 's interesting to hear because obviously I said earlier hey our our initial hypothesis, you know, two years ago when we started it was to get people working full time. You were effectively already doing that, but it, it's an extension of runway. So in a way it still fits that initial hypothesis, you know, of just giving you more time to focus full time. And I think that's that's gonna be valuable for you all.
1: Yeah. Like it, it really works out that way for us in, in our particular situation. We honestly had thought about applying for batch one. But back then, decided against it. Back then, we were still three founders. And I think you invested a little bit less money than than you did this time. So I think back then, it didn't make a lot of sense in terms of we wouldn't be able to pay the three of us salaries that would allow us to just focus full time. And back then, it didn't make sense. But now, this time, just being two founders and getting a little bit more money, it absolutely made sense.
0: Yeah that makes a lot of sense and that was one of the, we just made minor tweaks from batch one to batch two, I think the terms were virtually identical except for that we for for additional co-founders we upped the amount, we increased the amount that we give so that's cool to hear that that made a difference for you. So now you're five weeks in technically to the batch but you, you know we've all been in the Slack channel now for a few months, any surprises for you? No surprises so far I guess like nothing big at least. Um,
1: of course, it was an exciting day. We all joined the Slack channel and discovered that well known faces and friends uh, in the batch. That was definitely a fun part and a surprise. Other than that, I am really enjoying it so far, especially like the, the weekly calls with the small lectures by uh, you and Einar. Those have been really, really good. And also, I'm a little bit sad that we didn't make it to like MicroConf uh, US, didn't happen because we were supposed to go there and meet everyone and sure that. That didn't happen, but like the the replacement online retreat that Tracy came up with was really enjoyable, even though it was like three hours on two days, which is like a ridiculously long Zoom call, but it was still a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was such a bummer to, I mean, I think for everyone, right? There's There's worse things happening, it's hard to complain, but that was like one of the biggest... Disappointments, I'll say, around the pandemic was not being able to have the microconfs here in Minneapolis and not being able to get together both with microconf folks, but also also all of y'all in Tiny Seed. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we're gonna wrap up here. If folks want to check out what you're working on, they can head to userlist.com and of course the slow and steady podcast you release with Brian every week and Benedict Dica on Twitter.
1: Go to the show notes and click on the link. It's easier.
0: <laughs> Go to the show notes and, yeah, it's, I won't spell his, his name out. So very cool, man. Well, thanks again. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Benedict for joining me today. Again, if you want to invest in companies similar to UserList, we are working on raising our second fund at tinyseed.com slash invest. Next week's episode, I'm hoping to do a Q&A episode. So if you have any questions for me or a potential guest I will bring on, please send them to questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. And of course, voicemails go to the top of the stack. I believe we only have one, maybe two voicemails right now. So it will likely get answered next week if you send a voicemail in. But text questions are always welcome as well. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next time.